You just want to be a regular guy, you know. <laughs> kind of hard. <laughs> Honor's good, though. You just get honor and give it to the Lord. Yeah, Eric asked me about my kids. I go, it's, it's at least, like, that's like at least if I just give a, a one minute for each kid, it's an eight minute answer. Like, what are your kids doing? You know, so. And if I got really into it, if I did five minutes on each kid, that's like a 40 minute answer. You know, it's like, how long do you want to talk to me? You know, like, well, what are your kids up to? You know, like, well, we're, we're up to a lot of things. You know, like, what's, do you want the long version, the short version, the in between? So, well, I'm just going to show you a picture. You know, you get that truck. Is there a picture of my truck in that, all oh, those pictures? You know, where, where, yeah, that's me. So this is me back. Now, you guys have seen this before, but this is me when I was cool. So I'm just showing the young people this so they know that later, someday, you're cool now. How many people are cool now? I mean, you're cool now. Come on. You're young. You're cool now. But gravity and time are coming your way, and you're going to end up looking like me. See, I, I was like this at one point. Now I'm like this. See, so this is inevitable. This is what, this is what you're heading toward. And uh, then you can be, instead of being cool, you can be a person of wisdom and blessing. That's even more fun, being cool. It's a lot. Being cool is way overrated, you know. When you get white hair, and just because of all the dumb things you did and learned from in God, then you have wisdom. That's, that's when it's really, it gets fun then. You know, you, you can just, my wife said, you could just walk into a room. You could be wheeled into a room in a casket and help a lot of people. <laughs> just because of the years you lived and all the, and you know what? That reminds me of my friend Dennis, who's in heaven with us today. So I want to dedicate my time with you to him. That's fun, isn't it? I'm just preaching his stuff. We just preached each other's stuff all the time. You know, it was like... And uh, I still think you got to dig up all those old tapes and stuff and put a little booklet together called uh, Undistracted Devotion, but, or whatever you want to call it, you know. You are. Yeah. You better do it. It's already alive, though. It's already being spoken and lived out anyway. So that's just sort of the extra, you know. It's, it's already happening, you know. So that's, that's, what's, that's what's fun about the kingdom of God. It, it, it goes on and on. So that was me. That's me a long time ago. The reason that Jesus looks a little compromised because the guy I used to smoke pot with is the guy that painted. That's the guy. Like his eyebrows. There's no Jesus that's painted by a Christian uh, artist with eyebrows like that. I just don't think it's possible. You know? It's kind of like, whoa, yo, yo, kind of. So that was Fitzy. Fitzy. I was a chameleon in high school. I would get drunk on Friday, get stoned on Thursday, go to the Bible study on Monday, like most young people. I was a chameleon. I was trying to survive. I was, I was too afraid to be one person. I didn't have the courage, internal fortitude to be focused on one thing. So I, I was just so needy of affirmation. And I got, did I got a little feedback. How am I, how am I doing here? I don't want, because I'm going to start shouting later and it's going to get bad. It'll get bad. Okay, good, good. But Fitzy's the one that did the Jesus, you know, and, and really what he did is when God came and broke my, he broke the chameleon spirit in my life. And I got so tired of, of living a lie, you know, saying, well, I'm this way this night, I'm this way this night, I'm going to be this way with this group, I'm going to be this way with that group, you know, and it's, it's survival. It's because who wants to be rejected? And, 
it's not just peer pressure anymore, it's peer dependence. And you've got to have the approval of your friends when you're young. It's, it's intense. It's, uh, I don't see how any young people survive, actually. The kind of uh, your friend one minute and your enemy the next, you know, in one second. You know, they're stabbing you in the back. And... But Fitzy did the door of Jesus. He saw my life change so much, he, he thought he'd do a, on my paint my truck day, he, he said, I've got to have your door. I'm painting a picture of Jesus for you. I go, that'll be great, Fitzy, you know. I mean, have at it, you know. And so, and then right after that, in the early mid, in the mid to early 70s, uh, he died of AIDS. And I'm thinking, you know, and I don't have any idea. We kind of lost touch with each other. But I'm thinking, you know, Lord, you're the kind of God that could, during Fitzy's last days as he was dying. Like, when you get AIDS, you know you're dying. It's like, it's a slow you're watching yourself and maybe Fitzy during those last days remembered his crazy friend that went with Jesus and maybe he remembered how God changed me and broke the chameleon spirit in me and maybe he remembered the days painting the picture of Jesus during the summer on my door and maybe in those last moments he said you know Jesus I painted you and now I need you you know and could you come to me like you came to my crazy pot-smoking friend, Jim? So Fitzy could be with Dennis. They could be watching today up there in heaven going, man, come on. Memory lane, you know, right here. That's how I think about the Lord. I think the Lord is long-suffering. He, you know, he waits and waits and he reaches and he reaches. and So that's just a little. Now, if you fast forward, there's a picture of my family just to give you a little humanize me here is there is there a family pick in that group there was a family pick one there it's come there it is that's the that's the lineup there and that's my glory row in the back with all my girls now my boy my boys understand that because they're a part of my team to protect my girls so they they understand they're important but they're just important in a different way i don't go you're one of my special boys you know i'm just so glad you're part of the team you know they're part of the team they understand that but this is this is the the girls in the back are who we are. We're, we're, our job as the Anderson men is to create an atmosphere in our house for our girls to be safe. So that spirit in our culture that wants to change their identity from a person to an object doesn't have, have its way with them. And we've, we fight hell. You know, we, we, we say we're not, this is a no. That's what we do as, as the guys in our house. You know, we... We understand some things, and so it's a it's it's really fun, and I love having daughters, you know. And I'm I'm a helpless dad, so I, lunchtime I go in with my hands in my pocket to my kitchen, and kind of go, "Is there like something for lunch today?" You know, and they all go, "Oh, dad, you know, do you want this or that?" Or you know, it's just awesome. <laughs> I I can do. I'm cooking now. I mean, I I can do peanut butter and jelly, no problem. But I'm doing fried eggs now in the morning, and the eggs are warm, and the toast is warm, and the bacon is warm. I can do it all at the same time, all coming out warm at the same time. That's pretty good. What else do I cook? Uh, hot cereal. I can do malto. Or, uh, I'm doing cream of wheat really good now. Um, I mean, this is like big stuff. You have no idea. I mean, I'm really moving. I'm uh, not quite like you, sir, but I'm moving. You know, I'm... I'm uh, pretty proud of myself. And I did breakfast for five people the other, you know, we had some people over and I did, all the eggs came out, everything came out good. 
Because what you do is you put the oven on warm and you, and you get the stuff cooked and you put it in a glass thing and put it inside the oven and keep it warm. See, it, sounds like a, it sounds like I've been resurrected from my bachelor days, but that's really kind of what I... So anyway, that's my family. Uh, the kids are scattered everywhere. They all are my arrows. They're sharp. They're finding their destiny and their target. And we're releasing them into, I say, God loaned them to us. I mean, I'd like to keep them right under my wings, but he loaned them to us and they're gone. They're like, they're out doing stuff. And uh, it makes it really nice when we get together. But uh, let me mention a few things on the table just for, here's, here's, here's my deal on the American, the Western church has trouble with, we have this thing where if we go to the prayer seminar and listen to prayer, four messages on prayer, all, we're prayer people now. Kind of like, I went to the prayer seminar. I'm a prayer person now. I go, well, not really. You don't pray anymore. Well, but I'm, I heard it. I heard it, so I'm a prayer person now. I heard four messages on prayer. I'm a prayer person now. I go, no, you're not. You're not a prayer person. You, have, you don't pray anymore. Nothing's different. But I understand prayer now. I, I might, no, I mean, it's, that's our problem. We, we, we hear something and we get it. We, we understand it, so that's what we are. And, and, and that really takes us away from the beauty of what the Lord uses to build something in our life is repetition, where we just hear something over and over again and it becomes part of us. Like we're so enthralled with the revelation and we move toward it and absorb it and take it and live it and speak it. And we got so many things we just hear and then we just kind of hear them and then we dismiss them. And it never gets past our brain into our spirit and our heart and we never live it. So that's why we've got materials because we've seen God change people through revelation and i how many of you have come to the altar before and god pulls pain off your life i mean you come to the altar and god pulls pain off your life have you ever had that experience where god somebody prays for you or you you know it's just maybe it's just a one-on-one time with a friend or at an altar and literally pain comes off you you've experienced people experience that but how many have experienced that and then come a month later three months later six months later bring the very same thing from the very same things that happened in your life, that the pain's there again. Like, wait a minute, God's faithful. He pulled the pain off, and now it's back. What's the deal? Anybody experienced that before? Anybody come back for the very same thing? And you think, well, how does that work? You know, he, I thought he took it because there's a pain machine in you that's going to download a new batch of pain unless the pain machine gets broken, crushed, destroyed. Because we have these ex- historical experiences in our lives that over and over will... And here's, here's what God wants to do with Revelation. He, he needs to do this. He, he, wants to take his re, he wants to take Revelation and break the pain machine. So it's like, it, says, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So Revelation's got to come. It's got to come over and over again until it breaks the pain machine. We've got a pain machine that's going to download a new batch of pain based on the same experiences in our lives unless God comes in with Revelation and changes the way we think about the things that have caused us pain. That's it. That's why we cycle. I mean, that's why we go... And the Lord's truth is the component. See, it's not just the compassion of God, it's the truth of God. And when Jesus came, it says, we beheld him full of grace and truth. The grace is pulling the pain off, the mercy. He wants to help us. He loves us. But the truth part is what assaults. It assaults the strongholds of our thinking. And once he can change the way we think about the things that have caused us pain, and we get some revelation, it changes everything. 
And you get a divine moment where there's the love of God in the atmosphere of a community and God's pulling pain off people, plus you're thinking different about what caused you pain. It's, <laughs> that's permanent change. I mean, I've, I've been working with young people, 18 to 25-year-olds, for 18 years. And it's nothing like getting letters from girls saying, you know, Pastor Jim, all the memories are gone. All the negative mem- memories are gone. I can respond to my husband. He's talk- you know, we're talking about the real stuff. You know, not just the, the fluff. And that's like, that's worth the price of admission. What do you, what do you do with that? So let me just mention some stuff that helps break the strongholds that's on the table. And you can, some young people, like young girls, I'll just say, listen to this 10 times. Listen to it 20 times in a row until you know exactly what I'm going to say. I mean, get it into your spirit. Make this your, this message has to become the church's message. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about the revolution starting. And I'm in, I'm in the revolution. I mean, I'm, I'm a freedom fighter. I am. I'm going to sit in classrooms of discipleship schools. And I remember where I've got my girls, you know. I mean, a, a, it's the, it sounds terrible, but, you know, the old sailor had a woman in every port. But a father in the spirit has some daughters and sons in every city where he fought hell for their freedom. And he sees them later and as they grow and in their marriages and their families. And you think, I remember where you sat. I mean, I remember where some of the girls sat. They were the third row back, both of them sitting there. And I remember that Wednesday where all day long I was, I was teaching for four or five hours. And I said, if you don't get it today, I don't know what's going to happen. If you don't get it, it may not ever happen. But I remember by the end of the day, I could see it. I could, I could literally see it in their eyes that they got it. That lie, the lies of the enemy that had, had, had gripped them and assaulted their identity were, had melted away under the pounding of darkness against, you know, pounding against the darkness. It was so cool. I mean, I mean, they're married now. I mean, they're like, they, not just married like in struggling, married and like free. I mean, literally the negative sexual memories and the junk they waded through are gone. I mean, they're gone. It can be gone. It doesn't have to be there. And those daughters, they feel, they feel such a torment. They think, why was I, I, mean, I hate, I even hate like being a woman because I mean, I, these things are in me. You know, I mean, how do I get them out of me? Well, God designed them to be in you for a blessing. It wasn't like a, a mistake when God did this. When he designed a daughter's heart, he designed a daughter to receive imprints on her heart through sexual experience. It's supposed to be a blessing. It's supposed to be with one man called her husband. It was supposed to be like a pleasant, it was like a design to bless you. This is a design to bless you. When I'm, I'm thinking of a daughter's heart, I'm thinking of a creation. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a daughter's heart. And that was all hooked up by God to be a blessing. But you know, when it's not a husband, it's, when it's one of many different men, it's like a curse. You feel like, what is this? This is like torment. Well, God is the kind of God that likes to come and break the power of that stuff. That's what he does. He breaks the power of it. He can come and begin to break the power of it. And sometimes he does it instantaneously. Sometimes he does it, uh, accelerates it. Sometimes he introduces it. And you start, you start to begin to deal with something you never even wanted to look at. That can be a breakthrough. Just to start. Just to say, I'm going to start. I'm starting. I heard I could start today. I'm going to start. And if God wants to do layers one week after another week after another week in his presence, in his community of love, with his truth, then... Let him, ha- let him, ha- I'm, I'm, I'm on the operating table. I'm, I'm a candidate for reformation and transformation and resurrection and restoration. 
It takes, it's a lot of courage to do that. It takes a huge amount of courage to step into that place and go, here I go. Because I'm done with this. I'm done with it. I'm, you're going to be my healer, Lord. So that's a long introduction. That's kind of, I just kind of preached a sermon. This is, uh, hey, here's what's cool at the table. Right here. I love it. Leon Stewart, who was up here. Remember old Leon, the British dude from, uh, remember that guy? Leon from England, who was, his mom grew up in, the, in Jamaica or something. This is so cool. I'm just going to read it. You know, I wasn't even going to read it. So, barely a Christian, red flags started to service in my soul as I sat through Jim's teaching. I suddenly became aware of the sexual sin embedded in my way and in the way of the culture I was saturated in. Saturated in. I saw the true depths of my sin, the shameful, the shameful wanting of my character, and the deceitfulness of my heart in this area. These held me back from becoming the man I knew I must become. Sexual sin now became utterly detestable to me. Cool. This is a man talking about it. Come on. There is a specific, there is a specific sin hidden in a culture that is the root of many other sins. When it is revealed, our hearts blush and cringe at the exposure of it. The message Jim preaches about the cultural sexual assault on women and the role of men to be fathers who address that assault is that message. The reformer Martin Luther said, where the battle rages, where the loyalty of the soldier is proven, and to steady on all the battlefields besides is merely flight and disgrace if he flinches at that one spot. When I stand before God, I want to be able to say I fought the war of my own time, my own culture, and that I wrestled with a sin and the idol that God specifically exposed. For me in our modern Western culture, I can say with confidence that this idol of sexuality is the enemy we are called to fight. It would be a disgrace to neglect it. I'm 36 now, married to Lori. I have four children, two beautiful daughters and two sons. Their lives have been shaped more than I can grasp by the message I heard 11 years ago. I made that decision to invest. Well, I was talking a little testimony. It's very cool, man. There it is. So you can get one of those at the table. Three men, three destinies. Uh, Samson, who never got out of the starting blocks. David, who started strong and stumbled. And Joseph. Joseph. May the spirit of Joseph be imparted to the men in the church of Jesus today. Identity theft is what's happening to young people. In our, it takes 300 hours for identity theft, economic identity theft. But the question I believe God is putting in the heart of moms and dads as they work with a younger generation is how long does it take to give a daughter her dreams back? And how long does it take to restore a young man's self-respect back to him? That's the question because the enemy has ripped them off. A war against them. Authentic manhood. It's what we need. And my, my premise is that there's no pathway to authentic manhood unless we have a revelation of a daughter's heart and we have a revelation of the war from hell against what's in a daughter's heart. Those are the missing elements of authentic manhood. We're trying to raise up men in a vacuum and they're flexing their spiritual six-packs in the spiritual mirror and it's out of context to the women, the children. It's out of context of those that God's called men to love and protect and honor and cherish and to bend, defend with their lives. Amen. The sooner we get this real authentic manhood, we're going to see changes. Amen. And Esther, the source of true beauty, the beauty contest that Esther won. And the question is, did she compromise one of God's most sacred values, that of sexual purity, 
to be positioned by God to deliver a nation under the decree of death. Does God use compromise, in other words? He never does. So he must have done a miracle with Esther like he did a miracle with the three Hebrew boys in the fire and Daniel in the lion's den. Did he walk Esther into a very sexualized situation and her purity and her commitment to God altered that atmosphere rather than that atmosphere altering her? And God wants to put a spirit of Esther on the daughters in the church in this hour and on the church as a whole where we are influencing culture instead of the culture influencing us. And there's a purity he wants to put in our women that where people are knocking on the door saying, tell me about you. And we've got girls delivered from sexual sin and are so shameless, like they're working at Trader Joe's. And literally, the co-workers are saying, can I go to church with you? Can you tell me about you? Can, can I tell me about you? Why are you like this? Why are you? Because they're radiant. I mean, when we get the shame off a generation, we get our testimony back. Come on, we got to get our testimony back. So, here's the war manual. It's just a book. It's like my life book. It's called Unmasked. And show the picture. Let's show the picture of the Unmasked logo. Uh, this is a haunting... And this is like a, such a gift from heaven. Man, I was trying to write the book, and I was stuck for months, you know. And then this picture came to me like, I thought, this is... Because some little pastor's daughter in Canada, I'm going up to Canada to preach a seminar, and he says... Honey, why don't you put together like a little poster that kind of captures what Jim talks about. She came up with this and emailed it to me. I went, you know, I wanted to just print the book. I was going to print a blank book with no, nothing in the pages just to get the cover out. You know, it's like <laughs> the cover, man, the cover is going to do it. The cover is the answer. I mean, look at that. And I, show, I show this picture to young men and women everywhere, and especially the young ladies. They don't, you don't even have to explain what the cover is about. They'll look at it for like minutes. It's complete silence. They just stare at it. And then they go, where did you get that? It's my life. Or if they're a Christian girl, you know, who maybe hasn't involved herself in this stuff. She goes, where did you get that? It's all my friends. They all come to me. They come to me and pour their soul out to me. I'm like the counselor to all my friends because they know I'm pure. But this is all my friends. I can name them. I can name them. I can tell you their stories. I mean, this is... Or they just say, it's my generation. It's, it's, it's my generation. And you look at the eye. The eye is haunting because the eye is saying... The eye is... Can you see the anger in the eye? Kind of like, I want to punch somebody's lights out. Because I'm so sick of being lied to. I'm so sick of being told, if I do this... If I live this certain way, if I do things I don't want to do and become someone I don't want to be, then all my dreams are going to come true because I've been doing that and none of it comes true. And I'm so sick of that. I'm so sick of being lied to. I want to punch somebody's lights out. But there's no of these lights to punch out. And there's another part of that eye that just says hurt, you know, hurt, betrayal, sorrow, compounded sorrow and betrayal and hurt. Like, how did I get, like, how in the heck did I get here? I, I never wanted to be here. I have no idea how I got here. My life, the pain in my heart is reflected on my face. What, is, what happened to my life? That's, that's the cry of a daughter's heart. And then the mask is the demonic. The, the, the mask is the culture saying, don't you, listen, daughter, huh, don't you dare talk about your pain. Don't you dare talk about it. 
Because you'll be unstable. You'll be viewed as unstable or weak or unsophisticated, especially in Seattle. So just wait for the pain to get so bad. Go to a counselor. And I love counselors. Let me say, I talk to counselors. They say, if you guys would preach more here, we'd have 80% less to do. Right now we're carrying about 90% of the, of the pain in the church. We're supposed to carry about 20% and preaching is supposed to deal with 80% of it. They're saying that. Because there needs to be a divine moment where God's spirit comes through truth to give people permission to bring their pain into the open. That's what God's agenda is. So, head to the book table, get stuff, spend money on your soul. If you don't have money, seriously, if you can look at me and look at God and say, I am flat broke, then you take what you need for free, okay? If you're in a hard spot, just do it. Take a couple things as a gift from me. I'm, I'm not trying to make money. I'm trying to get some people healed. All right? So that's how we operate. So I want to talk about the revolution. Let's look at uh, Revelation 18. That was a long... <laughs> I do this to myself. It's crazy. Crazy, crazy. I was reading through Revelation 18. I'm not going to teach on Revelation. like I'm not going to lay it out like point by point. But... Uh, but I love the phraseology in here, and uh, God uses this phraseology on purpose. And it says this, Revelation 18, 1 to 3, says, After these things I saw another angel. This is a New American Standard, which I forgot to tell you guys, but you should have known that because everybody my age preaches out a New American Standard. That's, you know, right? That's what we got. That's, we got saved at a certain time of life, and that's what we use. So. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons, and a prison of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Here's the phrases I love. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Those are a lot of strong, strong phrases. And you think about it. You know, it says that, I mean, you could talk about what's going on in the nations of the earth. And you could say, well, the nations are kind of straying away from God. You know, they're, they're not really following God right now. Listen to the phraseology. No, the nations are not just, they're they're not just not following God. The nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Like it's talking about something. About the worship of the sex god in the nations of the earth. This spirit that elevates human sexuality to the highest human experience. Where people take their identity from that. And they spend all their time pursuing a sexual experience. Men for one reason, girls, young women, men, women for another. But still allowing themselves to be caught up in this very confusing and really when it's not working right, ultimately one of the most painful, the most, where the most pain comes from. I mean, I, man, I'm telling you, I hate... And when I see a daughter who's experienced betrayal, there's something in me. It, 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 just, it kills me. I don't know how to, 
Because I know what God designed a daughter's heart for. And you see betrayal. Ah. I hate, I mean, I hate betrayal. I mean, there's something about in me that I hate. We're back to authentic manhood. Remember I said, see, whenever I preach, I preach about a daughter's heart, daughter's heart, daughter's heart, daughter's heart. You know, and sometimes guys kind of, they'll just sit there and they'll go, when are you going to get to the man part? You know, you're, you're doing all the, you know, the daughter's heart stuff. You know, that's cool, but. And I, I want to say, hey, whenever I talk about a daughter's heart, I'm in the middle of the man part. I'm in the middle of it. Because the only pathway to authentic manhood is through a revelation of a daughter's heart and a revelation of the war against, from hell against what's in a daughter's heart. That's what's going on in our culture. You look at the women in any culture and how sexualized they are and how they it's a reflection of the men. It's what the men have allowed in terms of the dominant messages of the culture to come into that culture to form identity in a generation, both men and women. And you think, you know, we're talking about authentic manhood. Jesus, can you, who's the most authentic man on the face of the earth? Jesus, right? Well, he had a revelation of a daughter's heart. He, he gave his life for a girl called the church. Think about that. Meditate on that for a minute. I mean, spiritualize that. Just sort of, Jesus was the most authentic man on the face of the earth, and he gave his life for a girl called the church. He was the pattern son for every man on the face of the earth to follow him. So by definition, by following Jesus, understanding that, then we as followers of the pattern son Jesus then should lay our lives down for all the women, the, the mothers, wives, daughters, and sisters in our life. The living, true females that God has given us to sacrifice and to help. And together with the men and the brothers and the sons, we create atmospheres of safety in our communities so our sisters, our wives, mothers, and daughters don't have to be sexualized to receive love. When we, when we don't do our job as men... And it gets so bad that daughters have to take on a sexual identity to receive the love that God ordained for them to have because it's not, they're not getting it anywhere else. We failed as men. And I'm not... And, you know, hearing about failure shouldn't rattle us as men in the church. I mean, sometimes it's kind of like, all right, you're going to preach another sermon, you know, and make all the men feel bad and guilty about looking at pornography and, you know, feeling bad about their failures. I go, well, look it. So let's, let's get real. Jesus was the only one that lived a perfect life, right? Every other man on the face of the earth has failed sexually, okay? Are we all got that? And the way we measure our success is by how far apart our failures are. So welcome to the club here. Why don't we just all baseline from there and say we're going to do something about it. We're going to move ahead. This is not a condemnation. This is an invitation. So let's shake it off. Let's do what we need to do. Let's kind of reset. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody and saying, I've got it together and you don't. That's not, we're in this together. We've all failed. There's not a man in here that's not failed. Every man has failed in this area. And yes, his successes are defined by how far apart his failures are. Isn't that the craziest thing in the world? So how are you doing? I'm doing great because I'm, I'm this far between my failures. Oh, wow. Way to go, man. That's where we are. But we got to go for it. 
And Jesus, you know, Jesus is the authentic man. Think about it. I mean, I love it. He gave his life for a girl called the church. He had a revelation of a daughter's heart. I mean, talk about knowing. And the church is like a woman, and, you know, women are like women. So it's like the parallels are all there, guys. We don't have... And we're part of that church who's a woman, because... I, I titled this, Something is Wrong our, with Our Society. You know, this is the war. The kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. What does that sound like? Sex trafficking, porn. The merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Uh, yeah. Like, a lot of money. Like, yeah. Sex trafficking, selling things through sexuality and advertising, pornography, whatever else, you name it. You know, it's a lot of money here. We're selling. We're using this to sell and buy. And 17, Revelation 17, another phrase, is just the second part of first verse. It says, come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. A little bit different. They've been made drunk. We are drunk. America is drunk. We are staggering under the... We are drunk with this spirit of immorality. We like are... We're crazy with it. I mean, think about... we. When you're drunk, you do stupid things. You don't care if you hurt yourself. You don't care if you hurt other people. You're, you're, there's pain. You're trying to cover pain somewhere. My mom was an alcoholic. She tried to cover pain her whole life. I was preaching at a Celebrate Recovery. You know, those in the churches, they have the Celebrate Recovery. And I was, at the, I was preaching a sexual message, you know, just to see some healing for them. And at the end, you know, there's like 15 women and, and 35 guys. And they're all, you know, a little bit older, you know, late 30s on up. And I asked this question, how many of you were like, and I was praying about sexual experiences. I said, how many of you were touched in the wrong way when you were a little girl? Every one of the 15 women's hands went up that were in the alcohol and drug recovery. I go, this isn't about alcohol and drug recovery. This is about trying to heal the pain from a demonic violation of a little girl. And a number of the men raised their hands, 10 of them out of 35, because we're out of control. We've been made drunk with the wine. Of, we've, been, we've been in par- when, when you take the limits and the standards and the boundaries off sexuality, anything happens. We're, we are consumed by this. We've sacrificed 55 million children to the God of sexual pleasure. So that doesn't, that doesn't, you don't think we're not drunk? It's like anything for this. No, and the, the message is no one is going to limit my sexual experience or my sexual appetite. You got that? No one is going to tell me how I'm going to live. No one is going to restrict my appetite. I am doing whatever I want, as long as no one gets hurt. No, 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 nobody really gets hurt. 